Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Player Profiler and our podcast network is super resource intensive and we rely on premium subscriptions to the website playerprofiler.com to keep the engine running. Go there, sign up for our player rankings, Dynasty Deluxe, DFS package, or go all in. Those that subscribe are everything to us. Welcome back to First Class Fantasy. I'm Theo Greminger, and I'm joined always by Billy Muzio. And today we have a special First Class Fantasy and also a special guest. Uh, we've been bringing you sort of a lot of a lot of like interesting, unique shows recently. We've done some high stakes stuff. We've done positional stuff. Today we're doing nothing but best ball, and we bring in a best ball expert today. We're talking underdog fantasy with Hayden Winks. Hayden, welcome to First Class Fantasy. We're stoked to have you on, man. And uh, we're, we're deep in the best ball streets right now. So what a better uh, guest to have on today on a Friday afternoon. How are we doing today? Uh, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. It's it's so nice. Well, I would say with, with best ball, it's we have the dynasty little kind of stint right around the NFL draft. But in June and July, it's, traditionally, we didn't have that much fantasy drafts going on. Now we have best ball. We can draft right now on July 7th. That's no problem. Excellent. Excellent. And um, how how are we like we're seeing these contests, we're seeing best ball mania is is just just rocking. I mean, it's it's massive. It's massive. But you guys are throwing a number of other contests kind of in the mix here. Uh, I wanted to kind of get pick your brain. Where where, where do you think uh, drafters where are you recommending drafters, you know, put their money and and attempt to, you know, get into these underdog streets? Do you think people should be if you're a new player to underdog? Should you start out with like a Pomeranian? What do you think is the, is the best entry point draft? So I think this offseason in particular, we've really tried to prioritize a different variety of contests, which first of all, always starts with different price points, talking about $3 contests, $5 contests, Best Ball Mania $25. We have $100, we have $1,000. We might even go higher than that. So I think that's a good place to start. If you are new, obviously starting with a couple s- smaller entry drafts, get more comfortable, get a feel for it. But really... It just depends on how big the tournament it is and how top heavy the tournament is. Do you want to play more of like a lottery type, like Best Ball Mania 3, where you can win $3 million? Or do you want to play something where first place is a lower percentage of the total prize pool, a little bit flatter, more of a kind of cash game type of vibe to it? But at Underdog, what we're trying to do is make sure that either one of those directions you want to go to, we have an offering for that. 
And one guy uh, on the show here today that that doesn't usually play uh, any any three dollar contest is uh, Billy Muzio. Billy, you you've been you've been all over the place. You're you're doing FFPC best balls. You've been doing underdog best balls. You're 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 getting into it. When is your heavy month for underdog? Like, are are you or excuse me for best ball in general? Is this like the the big month for you and then you switch to redraft in august or are you going to keep it going all summer long no i keep it going all summer long i love taking advantage of the adp as soon as they come out in like february and march because we're able to um really get all of the influx of adp and kind of it's it's the wild west is what i call it right adp's all over the place people go three rounds four round differences there's so much value to be found so i actually try to max out as many underdog contests as i can when they first launch, because we just know that there's going to be some major differences in ADP from the time that tournament opens from the time that it closes um, near, near draft time, uh, NFL draft time. And then um, I really like like the $500 best balls, the 250 best balls, the, I think there was a thousand dollar best ball. Like there's, I love those tournaments because it's top four get paid out in the league. I mean, that's 33% pass through rate inside of each league. And you're and you're positive at that point. Like all you have to do is finish in the top four and you're automatically in the green in payments. Now, to Hayden's point, it's not a lottery ticket. You're not winning $3 million, but you you may be you know 25% up. I forget the math exactly off the top of my head, but you know, $500 entry, I think gets you like 750 off the bat or 650 or something like that. Hayden probably correct me here, but it's uh it's it's a good payment right off the bat. You win, you know, two of those, it pays for your third. And so um, you have a chance at money up top. The money up top is still pretty good in those tournaments, you know, and, and it just varies depending upon the, which one there is. And so I love those. I try to max those out. I was actually upset because I took like a couple of days off and I had, I think, I think the max entry was like six or whatever it was in the 500s. And I had three entered and I was like, oh, I'm going to hit a couple of these in a couple of days just to get some ADP differences. And I came back and it was already filled. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> so lesson learned, just going to max enter them as soon as they come out again and, and rock and roll. Yeah, for sure. And, and hey, is there a particular month that you recommend to people? I mean, it's it's it, you guys are you're basically all year round now. Um, and I know Billy and I we start drafting our best balls like before the Super Bowl. Yeah, we're we're, we're 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 a couple of those. So when are you when are you recommending sickle mode? It's it's sickle mode all year, Billy. It's it's on the clock life. It's a lifestyle choice. Yeah, and we've chose that's the life that we have chosen. Well, one of my favorite, and this is kind of when I'm really appealing to the dynasty community, is we run tournaments before free agency and the draft that includes the free agents and the rookies. So if you thought that, for example, Jonathan Mingo was going to get drafted way earlier than what people thought early on because you like this tape or whatever, then you can draft them before we have all the answers to the test. So I think that's a really fun game for the dynasty community that's paying attention to all that stuff. It really just kind of comes down to whenever you think you have the best edge. Do you think that you have great up? Uh, team to player fit right after the NFL draft and free agency where you want to attack that? Do you think you're better at reading the training camp buzz later on? It's kind of up to you on when you have it. And what we're trying to do this year on, on underdog, we're calling like little time boxed tournaments where like best ball mania is going to last all the way from the draft throughout August, maybe even into September. We're also going to launch some tournaments that will fill in one day, one week. That way we're all in the same information stage of the off season so right now, kind of a dead period. If we launch a tournament next week, it'll only be live for that week. It's really just like you're thinking about things before training camp exists. There's not going to be that much player movement. So we're just trying to give you as many options to fill whatever you think your personal edge. And I don't think every single person is going to have the same edge. Some builders can be better at different types uh, of tournaments. I right, had my only ask, and this is not on the show sheet. This is just purely off of what we just talked about. 
is there any way that we can get like a master schedule as some sort of Mm -hmm. what's going to be released for the year? Because for me, you know, I play in a lot of leagues, but I have a budget, right? It's a large budget. Don't get me wrong because we built the bankroll, but like I've allocated, you know, 80,000 to FFPC or 30,000 to this site or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. It would be nice to know that I, what is coming up so I can say, Hey, I want to allocate 15,000 to underdog inside of my pool or 20,000 to underdog where it's like before it's like, damn, I love this tournament, but I've already allocated my funds elsewhere. Give us, give us a sneak peek here. Hayden. what do you have uh, (laughs) coming up? What do you have coming up? It's a very difficult question because we want to give people that information, but we also react to how fast things are filling. And if things are fasting filler, we don't want to overpromise or underpromise. And we're kind of just like saying, like, here's a new tournament. Here's another idea. We listening, we're listening to what people are asking for. Like, oh, this tournament was a little bit too top heavy. This was the min cash was this way or not. And we're learning from what people are asking for. And then we're giving somebody else uh, what they've been asking for. So it's 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 a difficult question. We will have more and more drafts. I promise you in August, there will be so much drafting to be had out there. So uh, always just understand the next tournament is coming. Um, and keep in mind the price points. We will keep hammering. We don't want to like sit too long where the high stakes community doesn't have access to it. We don't want it for the $5 people that are just getting new to the streets. We don't want them sitting on the sideline too much. We always are going to have the mid price point, the $25 and now the $15 weekly winners. So we're always going to have that mid tier price point. But we got to make sure we get keep the high stakes, high stakes community going and the low stakes community. So we'll always have something fresh coming up. Well, we're going to dive deep into it. But first, we're going to hear from our sponsor. And oh, that's right, Billy. It's Underdog. Let's take a moment to talk about Underdog Fantasy. Now, many of you have already signed up. Thousands have signed up from Player Profile already over the years. Underdog has supported us since 2020. Much of what you see on Player Profiler is because of Underdog, because of their support. Get the Underdog app plug in that promo code underworld. I used to play underdog just for the best ball drafts. I mean, the best ball drafts are amazing. These draft rooms fill so quickly and you can win life changing money. You want to take advantage of all the sleepers we talk about on this show. Well, what better place than in an underdog draft room to do that? And I recommend taking your underdog play to the next level by diving into their NFL pickums. It's important to correlate those NFL pickums. You can pick both the quarterbacks and the wide receivers to exceed expectations correlate them and you can five extra payout bada bing bada boom underdog fantasy the promo code is underworld for an instant deposit match up to a hundred dollars underdog is the truest friend of the underworld welcome back um and so for we talked a little bit about strategy i'll say for me i try to load in a ton of best ball manias in the slow eight hour drafts. I'll, I have so many of those open right now. I usually do like a, a ton of them in June, a ton of them in July. And then I usually switch over to live drafts. I have a lot of the high stakes ones starting maybe mid July. I have uh, I've already done a few FFPC ones. I have a couple NFFC ones. And I think it's Hayden. It's a underdog's a great way for, for anybody who doesn't participate in underdog, but maybe plays in a high stakes format. Underdog, I think, gets you hardened as a drafter. Yes. I would say that there is the underdog effect. You see the underdog effect in FFPC, the underdog effect in NFFC, because these drafters are are jumping between platforms. And the biggest change that I think your, your format has done is it's really pushed the wide receiver position up higher and higher and higher. This year we have, I mean, universally, it's 14 of the first top 24 
picks are wide receiver. And sometimes we see 15 of the first 24 picks. So with looking at the steamed up wide receiver position, what is the most effective way to attack the running back position, which has now been devalued and slightly pushed down? Yeah, so I've always had this rule on underdog fantasy based off of some research that you want to have four wide receivers by like round seven or eight. That's historically been pretty good. And I'm like really doubling down on that. I don't want to be drafting six or seven wide receivers that early because all the price tags are going in. So my motto this year is get in and get out. I do think there's like basically like table stakes to having decent wide receivers to win these tournaments. A very large percentage of the spike weeks, first, second, third, fourth wide receivers on the week are the top 36 wide receivers in ADP. You'll get some breakouts like a Zay Jones, for example, but they kind of break out into like the wide receiver three tier, not the wide receiver one week winning your entire week type of tier. So you need to have at least some of them, but I don't love the price tags across the board. So I'm picking my battles. I'm only going to probably have like four decent wide receivers when historically I probably would have five or six, which means I'm drafting that third running back to put him in my flex more than I ever have done before. Like robust RB has been a losing strategy, um, even on half PPR best ball. But I think the price tags are really starting to price in all of that historical data where I think someone like Damian Pierce, who's like a sixth-round pick, he traditionally probably would have been a fourth-round pick, and the wide receivers next to him would have been round eight picks, but now the Damian Pierce projection and the wide receiver right next to him, I think Damian Pierce is going to destroy that wide receiver to to get into my flex. So I've been drafting that third running back earlier than I ever have. And then when just to follow up on that, so you're drafting... On, on a regular, you're drafting a third running back. I'd say, would, would it be safe to say three in the first eight, ten rounds, or are you three yeah. in the first seven? Yeah, like for example, like I'll go one of the top ten running backs. Let's say it's Nick Chubb. Sometimes I'll go to like Brees Hall, go wide receiver, running back, running back. And then I'll go to, if Damien Pierce falls a little bit, I'll draft him if, or wait for David Montgomery. And like the David Montgomery is kind of the end of like where I think like this, this could be somebody that could be an upside flex play for me and that's about round eight and i'm not afraid to go like nick chubb then wait until like that you get james connor david montgomery someone like that later on or you can find a a sexier names than those names i'm pulling out there but yeah i think that just the running backs are projecting better than the wide receivers in that exact round i don't want to overdo it because you need to feel like proper roster construction but i think more so than ever i'm okay with having a running back in my flex Billy, you're bouncing between formats a lot, but let's focus on underdog half-point PPR, 18-man build. Hayden's talking about a robust or possibly bimodal build where you're you're drafting three. And then, Billy, if you're drafting three running backs, like, like Hayden's talking about, are you shutting it down at what point? If I've drafted three running backs in the first seven rounds, eight rounds, am I have I made my team into a four-running back fragile build? Or are you open to be drafting a fifth running back in that sort of scenario? I think there's too many variables to put a number on it without knowing the players. Like if you have Christian McCaffrey, like the injury predictive model, possibly, you know that he's potentially going to miss games. And so you might want a fifth running back on some maybe injury prone, quote unquote, running backs, where if we have some healthier backs that haven't missed a lot of time in their career, I'm fine going for Um I think it also depends upon where I'm at in the draft room. And and because we know that, you know, in, in the case of best ball mania, there's nearly 700,000 people doing drafts. And so 
if I'm coming around and I'm in the beginning of the draft and I hammer Christian McCaffrey, we know there's going to be a ton of teams that are going to have Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb on those same rosters. And so I may look at pushing someone up, pushing somebody down. I always like to try to get unique here. Um, and I'm not saying I'm taking somebody two rounds you know, before ADP, but I'm taking someone maybe three quarters around before ADP or half around before ADP because we want to get some uniqueness to this roster while also still trying to stay within our, our, our roster construction limits and to make sure that we still have giving ourselves a chance at the overall. And so I think there's so many variables to this question. It's hard to give one straight answer. But if I'm a CMC team, if I can hammer in Derrick Henry and I can mix up my third back or somebody along those lines, I'm okay taking four. Um, I typically like to go five just because we see so many injuries at the position that I want to give myself a chance come week 17. There's it's a long season. There's a lot that can happen. And I want to make sure that I have at least some points in that position that are going to give me a fighting chance for the overall prize. And Hayden, follow up on, on that. So you've drafted your first three running backs like you talked about. Let's call it in the first eight to ten rounds. Mm-hmm. Where are you? At what point are you shutting it down, or are you trying to stay flexible? Maybe in terms of, are you ever going up to six or to a six running back build if you invest three in the first seven to eight rounds? If I have three by that point, it's probably going to be a five running back build. I will do four running backs, but that's if I did like the Dave Montgomery and James Conner, where I have like four in the first eight nine yeah. rounds. Then I'll stop it there. Um, but usually it's about five. But also, if I go running back, running back, and then I wait past this tier that we're kind of talking about, and now I'm getting into like the pure handcuff plays, then that's when I will go a sixth or sometimes even seventh running back because I do think the running back projection remains the best throughout the entire draft board because all of the wide receivers are up, all of the running backs are down. So I'm still kind of playing, hey, this my sixth running back still probably has better odds of getting into my flex than that ninth wide receiver. So I'm still playing this all the way through. But Billy, you make the my it's one of my favorite things to do on underdog is let's say I have like the 11th or 12th pick in the draft. I'm going to be reaching slightly ahead of ADP for uniqueness uh, reasons. And one way, my favorite way to do this right now is going Nick Chubb and Saquon Barkley. They're both middle of the second round picks. Very few teams are going to have both of them. And a lot of the teams that are drafting at the 11th and 12th uh, pick right now are doing double wide receiver. Or yep. Eckler with Nick Chubb because Eckler's kind of sitting right there, or Bijan and, and Nick Chubb. Yeah, but very few people are are reaching for both of them up, and that's the uniqueness angle that we have to think about just a little bit. I think the best way to do that is not like reaching on Nick Chubb and Saquon Barkley by four picks. Truly, doesn't matter. I don't want to reach by somebody eighteen picks later. Correct. Uh, later on in the draft, so I think that's my favorite strategy right now is the second round. Reach. Yeah, there's a limit to what Hayden and I are talking about here because you never want to take a player that you can get in the third round. And yep. even make your team even more unique because you reached maybe half a round on those two players to create a unique roster. And then maybe somebody fell from round three because these drafts were going so wide receiver heavy that now you have an exceptionally rare, unique combination that it's going to be very hard to duplicate unless someone else reaches and somebody else falls. So it creates this variance inside drafts that one allows you to create very unique rosters, but also you know, it's, I always tell people it takes cojones too, right? People don't sit here and like everyone's, everyone's so, like dialed into ADP, they feel like they have to take the best value on the board. And when we think about these different tiers and these levels, like a lot of these projections are only a difference of 10, 15, 12 fantasy points at that. And so it, and then we, we all know that we're analysts. We make errors. We make, we make mistakes and maybe we evaluated a situation wrong, or maybe we, we analyzed a, a certain coaching scheme wrong. And next thing you know, 
we have a Josh Jacobs scenario where he's a top tier running back that was going way too late in drafts because we just had this false pretense in our head that he was going to suck. And so sometimes we need to reach, we need to build unique rosters, we need to do this. But I think one more talking point and we can move on here, Theo, is that I don't want people to get stuck in their head that they have to stick to a four running back build if they start maybe four straight running back. Because what happens in these drafts is if everyone else around you is going wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, it's going to continue to push down running back, as Hayden pointed out. Now, at what point in the draft are you going to say, hey, I already have four really good running backs, but the best player on the board is a running back. By all means, go ahead and select that running back because, again, you may have gotten a rounds discount, maybe two rounds of discount a player because everyone's going so wide receiver heavy that they, at this point now it makes more sense for your team from total fantasy points perspective to take the position that necessarily that you don't need and you can fill them in your flex. Yeah, I think you guys said a lot of a lot of great things, and, and I'll just say from a game theory perspective, especially in a live draft, especially in a in a high stakes draft, once in a while when you show that you're willing to reach and kind of jump out of that ADP roadmap that a lot of people are, are kind of ingrained in, it can really shake up a room and it can create an edge and it makes other people start having to move things around and it creates potentially unique values to you. So there's a there's a real game theory with that as well, Billy. I think it's a, it's a really, really great point. Hayden, I want to pick your brain on another running back uh, strategy. I had Adam Levitan on press coverage. The ETR guys have done a lot of great stuff with this. Drafting two running backs from the same team used to be something that was looked at as some big square, like, you know, fish move. But there's actually a lot of mathematical reasoning with it. What would be some scenarios where you would embrace this sort of thing? I don't want to kind of handcuff my first or second round running back. Like, I need those guys to give me the points. But I do think there there is a little bit of a ping pong effect that you can get away with in best ball where based off the game script, one player is starting to pop off if there's very defined roles. Like, for example, this year it could be like Isaiah Pacheco and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire who are very cheap. If Jarek McKinnon misses time, I think CEH goes into that receiving role. I think there could be multiple weeks where Isaiah Pacheco has rushing touchdown work and they are winning games. And there could be a couple games late in the, late in the season where Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is catching a little bit more passes. The Chiefs are weirdly behind in the game script. So I think this isn't for every single backfield. I think you can kind of pick and choose this. But the 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 real theory is if you have a player that either missed some time in the middle of the season, low advance rate player, but all of a sudden he's back in week 16, back in week 17 when all the prize money is being distributed and you had his backup who helped you advance a little bit, now all of a sudden you have the starter back at a low advance rate who's now going to be helping you uh, differentiate in the finals. This is very low in my totem pole of like how I'm thinking about things. I think it's a, a strategy that you can really kind of pick apart. We have, this is like the, where best ball, we have all of these months to think about this, that we can come come up with these galaxy brain things. I think it's viable, but not with every single team. Buffalo, it's viable guys. I'll, that's what I'll, I was I'll say, say that one. Like Buffalo right now, I think that's the team that stands out to me where neither back really costs a whole lot. And you're guaranteed that sort of running back production. I had it in 2021. I had a bunch of best ball teams I made money on with Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines, and it happens. Like Hayden brings up, you basically need a few things to happen. You need offensive production. You need multiple backs producing. And usually there's a satellite back element. Billy, let me ask you this. Would you ever consider this with something like Seattle, 
where you haven't used a fifth and an eighth round pick, or is that is that a a, a little too much skin for it? No, because I don't like Zach Charbonnet, so that's not well. Let's say you let's say me, you right? did if let's say you liked Zach. Let's say you saw it as a sixty forty split. So for for the counter argument, is this no? This is okay. this is this is too. I think it's that's a hedge at this point, right? Okay. You're hedging now that you are saying that your fifth round pick is not the back that you think he's going to be. I think that you need to go. If you're talking about backs inside the top five rounds, I think, and we're just going to put a label on it. I don't really like to put labels on things, but if we are top five rounds, top four rounds, I don't like to stack. I call it stack cuffing. We're not going to stack cuff. And we, we don't want to you know, limit ourselves because we're limiting upside is what we're doing because now we're limiting ourselves to <clears throat> what this team is able to accomplish on the ground that game. Maybe they get blown out in the throwing all game. Now that, now that team that you have double running backs on is SOL. I think it works for some offenses. You hit, you know, you were dead on with Buffalo. Like you could go Damian Williams and you can go James Cook, you know, lightning and thunder goal line back in between the twenties. I think it works well. Um, I like what Hayden mentioned when it's a zero cost investment, right. And you have a round 17, 18 pick and around, you know, maybe nine, 10 or eight, seven, whatever rounds that Jake was going in these days. Um, I, I think that you have, I think there's scenarios in which it works. I think it limits your upside overall, but I, I do think that you have, um, I, I think it's viable at times, but I'm I'm I, I like like Hayden said I don't like to do this very often because I'm when I'm taking these handcuffs back I'm saying that this the the lead back has a potential to go down right Let, let's call Tajay Spears for instance I'm hedging against Derrick Henry with Tajay builds and so I'm going wide receiver heavy early I'm going zero running back I'm gonna you know maximize my total points in the event that maybe Derrick Henry goes down or an Elijah Mitchell build in the event that Christian McCaffrey goes build. These are contingent upside builds that I'm relying on from these backs that have massive upsides should the starter go down. And I've stacked them with top tier wide receivers. Would not like to do that with both running backs and limit my, my upside. My last little note here is potentially there's going to be some guys coming off of injuries where you like the Broncos would be an example. Very low price point. When we're talking about this like running back 36. Maybe Samaje Piran's good in September, and then Javante Williams is good in December, and you're just using one of them each week into your flex. So I think it's just injuries could be a little component of this. But I think for the most part, when you have Tajay Spears, you would rather have Brees Hall instead of Derrick Henry on that team. Yeah, And I'll just do a quick follow-up on this one. Would you guys be in or out on – so we brought up Buffalo. Buffalo is a, is a low-hanging fruit. Great offense. Neither back costs a lot. What about an offense that we have some question marks about but we have pretty solid clarity on the the starting and backup running backs or or an, a one A and one B such as Washington with Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson. Hayden, does does this kind of limit your edge to go bang bang with Washington running backs? Yeah, I think I think I'd be okay with it because the price point we're talking about players that shouldn't be in your RB two spot that often. These are kind of just flex plays, bench plays. Um, but I think. For a lot of the time, I just want to have conviction on which of the running backs I just think is a better projected player, period. And like I and it's not just projection out their median outcomes. I'm always thinking about projections and their ceiling outcomes, the path to that ceiling outcome. So like a lot of these players that I'm drafting at running back is just because I think that this running back is better than the other ones. Like, for example, like going back to David Montgomery, I'm, I, I've drafted a lot of David Montgomery because I think it's bell cow usage and he's going to be at the goal line. And it's kind of a bet against Jameer Gibbs. I don't want to be drafting too much Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery. Because I think the prices are a little bit too rich for me. And I just think that David Montgomery is going to play more than people are expecting with Jameer Gibbs. So I'll just keep drafting uh, David Montgomery. And instead of Jameer Gibbs, I'll draft one of the wide receivers that go right next to him. 
makes a lot of sense. I uh, want to kind of keep this going. We we often, we don't need to define stacking or correlation for first-class fantasy audience. This is, again, the underdog effect, Hayden. You guys have, you guys have, have changed the game on this. Everybody understands what correlation is. Everybody understands what game correlation is. Everybody understands what stacking is. How about we're continually looking for the quarterback, wide receiver, possibly quarterback tight ends when we discuss this. What about stacking and correlating with quarterback running back? Is this something that you recommend? And is there a particular archetype when you're looking at this sort of build? Yeah, this is another one where it's fine, not necessarily a priority, but that there is more season-long correlation between the positions than the weekly correlation. So both matter for like best ball mania four. You're trying to advance from rounds uh, weeks one through 14, where the season long correlation, just this offense was better than we all projected. So all of a sudden both like, for example, Jalen hurts and Miles Sanders last year, both are smashes because the entire offense is good. Now is Miles Sanders necessarily going to have the monster week when Jalen hurts also has a monster week less. So, so in week 17, it's not working into your favor. So obviously the pass catching running backs are going to be more correlated because they're actually catching the pass, both get the yardage, both get the touchdowns, but there is a season long component to this. So it's one of these things where a lot of the times I think that this offense is just undervalued period. Like for example, the Texans, I kind of find some interest in CJ Stroud with this offensive line, new coaching staff, bad division. And I'm drafting a lot of Damian Pierce, but I'm also drafting some Nico Collins just because I think that CJ Stroud's going to get this instead of being the 32nd best offense might be the 23rd best offense. And that's a big enough jump for me where everybody kind of rises up a little bit. So I think that you should be correlating your pieces. It doesn't, doesn't have to always be quarterback wide receiver. It doesn't have to always be quarterback tight end. Though those are by far the most correlated in every single aspect. I like, I like your point there on Houston. And I think that there's, there's a lot of JJ Zacharias and stuff on pass catchers struggling with rookies, but the idea of a, of a Pierce Stroud or per, perhaps a young Sanders mm-hmm. uh, build, that's interesting. Uh, Billy, I want to follow up with you. Is it, is it simplistic or are you looking when you're correlating, are you looking for a pass catching running back or are you open to just like chasing touchdowns? Like for instance, a, a Dobbins Lamar Jackson type correlation. No, I don't like the Russian quarterback with the running back. If I'm doing it, I'm going like Herbert and Eckler or where I know that there's going to be, you know, 600 plus pass, like almost 700 pass attempts, right? 699 last year for Herbert Eckler looking at hundred targets. And so I'm looking at those type archetype offenses where I'm looking at like an Aaron Jones and a love with an inexperienced quarterback that may have difficulty at times. And what is he going to do? He's going to use the running back as an outlet. And we may have a little bit more uh, pass passing opportunities for that running back. And so um, there's a very specific archetype I'm looking for. It's either volume-based or it's inexperienced at quarterback base that we know that they may be relying more on that running back. Okay, guys, I want to talk about structure, and I want to talk about structure particularly pertaining to the quarterback and the tight end position. I think this gives drafters a little bit of uh, difficulty sometimes. Uh, Hayden, how are we reacting to the early the rise of the early QB? Right now, we're seeing the big three quarterbacks, Allen, Mahomes, and Hertz, steamed way up. We're also seeing Lamar Jackson now going inside of round three. And Joe Burrow in best ball mania is usually, I'd say, like a mid-fourth. Uh, and then Justin Fields right around the four-five uh, round turn. When you put when you put weight into an early quarterback, have you made your team into a two-quarterback build? 
Yes, for the most part. So on average, two or three quarterback builds perform fairly the same. But I like the elite quarterbacks more than ever because I think there's been a fundamental change in how NFL teams are using the quarterbacks. And in in particular, it's quarterback scrambling is way up more so than ever before. Quarterback sneaks, I think, could go way to the moon after what the Eagles did. So some of these big athletic quarterbacks I think are going to be running more than ever. And at the same time, those type of dudes are still putting up massive passing numbers. So like back in the era of Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, fantastic quarterbacks, but they can only get so good at fantasy because they're only passing. Now we have these absolute juggernauts that like Jalen Hurts could have the best fantasy season of all time this year. He was already on pace with it last year and they weren't even throwing passes in the fourth quarter. So I think that there's going to be a, an elite quarterback separation that is being undervalued because it's only happened the last couple of years. But I think that there's, there's a fundamental change on how offenses are run and that we need to be applying this to fantasy purposes, especially in half PPR. That's the other little thing about underdog is in full PPR quarterbacks are just not valued the same because every single time a pass is caught to a tight end running back or wide receiver, those positions are going up. And if the elite quarterbacks are rushing more, what does that mean? That means there's no catches going to any of the other positions as well, especially at the goal end. We get more teams doing the Jalen Hurts stuff. There's going to be less uh, receiving touchdowns to go around. So I'm kind of attaching my wagon to the elite quarterbacks more so than ever. And I think that the price point has gone up, but I would argue it has not gone up enough. I I love that. I think that the Jalen Hurts argument, like if you're looking at the big three and you're trying to decide between the big three, if you're chasing upside, it's 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 got to be Jalen Hurts yes. based on the weapons and and also the offense taking a step forward. And also, it's year three for Sirianni. I mean, there's some stuff we haven't seen yet. They've added Swift, Billy. I want to ask you this: Let's say you are a you have drafted an early QB and you're thinking two QB build. Where is the cutoff for the quarterback that you're so confident in that it turns you into a two QB build automatically? Is your cutoff? Deshaun Watson, or are you willing to go a little bit lower? So right now, Deshaun Watson is quarterback nine, and there's about a, a nine-point gap to Tua Tungavailoa, and then Anthony Richardson about nine below that. So the, the top 10 is pretty clear right now in the top 100. Theo, you know I'm the worst I know, person in the world I know to you're, ask this question. Um, Billy, I, have a, I have a much higher risk tolerance than the average Joe. Um, and so, I mean, I'm fine with my two quarterbacks being Derek Carr and, and Jared Goff. I'm fine with it being... Daniel Jones and Geno Smith. Um, and, and so I, I think, though, it's important to get ownership of the elite tier because we want to have a piece of the pie um, at, at it, with any player. I'm not going to be sinking, you know, 20, 25 percent of my rosters uh, into early quarterback because I believe that every single year we can find value at the position. And if we are trying to beat 700,000 people, I'm looking for that quarterback that's going outside the top 12, that's going to have a pot, have an option of finishing inside the top seven or eight. And last year, we saw two quarterbacks do that. We saw Geno Smith, who finished as quarterback number six, who was going undrafted at times. And we saw Justin Fields, who was going outside the top 12, finish as quarterback number five. And so when we talk about uniqueness and we talk about maximizing points and we talk about being able to win an overall, um, which I have yet to do an underdog, but I have you know I've done well in other, in other formats, we need to find that quarterback that's going to get us an elite level of production that is being drafted in rounds 10, 11, 12, because then we're maximizing all of those receivers and all those running backs 
in the drafts and we're maximizing our overall points, it is a far less likely outcome. Don't get me wrong. Like we're talking about the top 3%, 5% maybe of, of hits. But when it hits, it really hits. And you're going to be able to you know, maximize that payout. Uh, that being said, it's not for the faint of heart. This is not somebody who's going to be doing five bullets, 10 bullets, 15 bullets. This is someone who's going to be maxing out or somebody who's going to be entering as many possible tournaments as they can. That's going to be creating unique rosters and unique lineups and, and trying to create, you know, maximum point lineups as well. Because there's times in which I will play and I will take, you know, the Joe Burrow with my chase stack and I'll do the chalk stuff that everyone's doing. And I want to make sure that I have pieces of it. But other parts of me say, hey, you know what? I'm going to push quarterback all the way to the end and I'm going to take somebody like Pickett and Love. And I'm going to hope that these both both these quarterbacks outperform their expectations to Hayden's you know, point like, what if Stroud is actually quarterback 19 or 20, right? And he was going, you know, super late in drafts. What if that 19 and 20 is now 15 or 16 and he would have been going in round 11, 12, right? And so you can really maximize your points if you hit. And now you may be just donating the money, which is a, which is also a very high possibility. But I think that we have to take chances in order to win big. Last year was great with some of the 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 later quarterbacks. Billy's absolutely right. Trevor Lawrence, Tua as a point per game basics, and we also had a, a like a double edged sword here where a lot of the low end QB ones and high end QB twos they they were ADP misses. Hayden, what is your cutoff for for these these quarterbacks in terms of where where you're seeing yourself becoming a two QB build? Is there a cutoff? It would probably be about Deshaun Watson or Trevor Lawrence would be my two. I want to be overweight on quarterback points and half PPR just because I don't think people have processed how big of a difference that is, um, especially because you're adding correlation whenever you're drafting a quarter, quarterback for multiple of your picks. I'm only drafting the quarterback if I have some of their pass catchers for the most part. There's some exceptions to that. But um, if if I have Deshaun Watson and I've drafted Nico Collins and Dalton Schultz, I'll probably have CJ Stroud. But if, if somebody else like Bryce Young has happened to sit there and I went down the path with Miles Sanders and Jonathan Mingo, I will go a third quarterback in that type of build too. It really just kind of comes down to the pass catchers, but I want to err on the side of the caution of adding more points to the position that scores the most points by a country mile. And that's what also has led me to the late round tight end strategy of they're only averaging six to 12 points aside from Travis Kelsey. If I'm losing four points there, it doesn't really matter to me because I can't be losing the 25 points that Jalen Hurts put up to be stuck in this kind of mid-tier quarterback land of like 17 points a game. That's eight-point difference. That doesn't really exist at the uh, positions that score fewer points in general. We're going to get to tight end in a second, but before, Hayden, are you a Jonathan Mingo stan? Because you've been, you've mentioned him like two times. times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that he can play. I think he at least has a chance for upside. I think he'll probably be a later in the season type of player. And these pass catchers, like we just mentioned on rookie quarterback teams are not very good in general. Um, but at the same time, there's a couple teams where all of their players are going late and I'm looking for the second or third team to stack after going with an elite team like the Bengals and the Panthers and the Texans tend to kind of, kind of go up there because there's uncertainty in playing time and it's the overall projection. But I still think that there's a chance that Stroud or Young are pretty good in general. Interesting. And before we get to tight ends, I wanted to, we're just talked rookie wide receivers. Uh, right now we see somewhat of a de-emphasis on them compared to years prior. You know, obviously two years ago, Jamar Chase got steamed up. Uh, Jill and Waddle people were confident in 
last season, Drake London was was being drafted pretty confidently by underdog drafters and high stakes drafters. This year, you see Jackson Smith and Jigba at wide receiver 32, Jordan Addison at wide receiver 37. Quinton Johnston has risen up a little bit, but he's still like wide receiver 40, wide receiver 42. And Zay Flowers uh, right inside the wide receiver four line at wide receiver 46. Of the big four rookie wide receivers, which one are are you most into drafting uh, with ADP as a consideration? I think this one is like very clear to me. It's Jordan Addison. Adam Thielen was second in routes run last year. Second. And what's changed about the Vikings? Really, like he's just replacing him. And Jordan Addison has a chance to be much better than what we've seen with Adam Thielen recently. And he's not getting any of the steam because he was very nitpicked as a prospect, which I get. Like, he's a smaller guy, did not run that fast. But there are also some other smaller guys that didn't run that fast that have had some success. And I just think that he's a really natural route runner. I think there's a lot of volume to be had in that offense. This offensive coordinator, head coach, they're all very pass-focused. And I think he's going to have a lot of uh, pristine matchups and he hasn't gotten steamed. And the other, I think the big reason why JSN, Quentin Johnson, Zay Flowers haven't gotten steamed that much is the target competition is just insane. And like, obviously Jordan Addison's dealing with Justin Jefferson, the best wide receiver in the league, but I don't think that KJ Osborne's necessarily moving the needle. TJ Hawkins has had a good season, but uh, I think that there's a lot of, of route running potential for Jordan Addison that has not been accounted for. And if something ever happened, to Justin Jefferson, I mean, Kirk Cousins is still going to throw the ball 40 times per game. And like at that point, I think Addison has like volume hog in his range of outcomes. I think it's just like a skill set that he has. He was using the screen game. So to me, I draft a ton of Jordan Addison. I'm actually surprised that he's not going much earlier than what he is. He should be going ahead of JSN straight up, in my opinion. And Billy, we've talked about Jordan Addison for, for months now on First Class Fantasy. It's very weird. I agree with you, Hayden. You actually saw this week in NFFC, JSN flipped Addison for the first time. And in FFPC, the, the the big three wide receivers are are neck and neck. Like the, Quentin Johnson steaming up big time. I think a lot of people want Herbert correlation. Billy, what about maybe a de-emphasis of the running back position this year in Minnesota? Could there be kind of room for the wide receivers, despite Justin Jefferson's massive year last year and the presence of Hawkinson? Could we see even more targets going to the 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 wide receivers and also Hawk? Yeah, I'm actually projecting this offense to shift to again a little bit more pass heavy than what we've seen. Dalvin Cook again, you know, had had a, a role in the passing game. He, Hayden mentioned Adam Thielen. There's 143 vacated targets in this offense. There's a lot to go around. Um, I haven't projected as the eighth most pass heavy offense in the NFL. Uh, and you take a look at it just in general. Like I, I was going to mention Addison, I'm just going to continue the train here. I'm not going to I'm not going to zig and zag here. I just think we need to just hammer down on Addison because it, it is a value. I mean, even at 17% target share, which I think could be fairly conservative for Edison, we're still talking about 101 targets inside of this offense based on my projections. Um, I mean, you could even talk about like Jalen, I mean, KJ Osborne, who's going late in drafts, has an opportunity to see 80 plus targets this offense just because there are so many targets in this offense because of how much they throw. And we know that Jefferson is going to be attracting the number one DB and possibly double coverage. And so it's going to open up a lot of opportunity for these other pass catchers here. I like Addison. I like him at cost. We've talked him up since he was drafted that day. I love the landing spot. Um, I know he's a little undersized, but I think that he is going to perform in this offense and have every opportunity to do so. Yeah, absolutely. Hayden, Billy Muzio and I have a $350 FFPC entry bet. I have Jackson Smith and Jigba finishing inside of the top 36 wide receivers this year in PPR. Billy has them 
has has him somewhere around like wide receiver 106. Will I win? Will I will I win? Will I win my bet here? And will he be a wide receiver? All right, all right, wait, wait, wait. Let, let me let, let me clarify this. No, no, bet. no, Billy, 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 Billy. You, I know you're. We'll, we'll clarify. The it bet is the bet is inside the top 36 or outside wide receiver 36. Which side are you on? Yeah. Full PPR, half PPR. Full, so full, full PPR. PPR. Yeah, I think that helps him out just a little bit. I was looking into it. We had uh, on our show uh, Ryan Heath from Fantasy Points. He wrote this banger of a column just based off like age breakouts and like player declines. And year nine, year 10 is kind of when the wide receivers really start to decline. And that's where Tyler Lockett is. And the other big thing about that uh, research was when you see a little bit of decline, the next year is when to get off. And I don't want to like get off of players too early until I start seeing the decline. Cause usually it's not like here he is very good. Now he's terrible. Usually it's, he's very good. Oh, that season was a little odd. And now he's all of a sudden a waste of a pick. And I think that Tyler Lockett, there's a little bit signs of decline in his game where he's not doing any of the yards after the catch stuff. He was very, still very good wide receiver because he ran so pure with touchdowns. But I think that there could be a little bit signs of decline with Tyler Lockett and then JSN might get there. So I have him like right on that border. That this is a very interesting line to set. I think it's probably a pretty fair line. But if I had to guess, I'm starting to draft JSN slightly ahead of Tyre Lockett at this point, despite Tyre Lockett's great season when it came to touchdowns last year. So I want to give you a line real quick. So I was going to set the, the line at 36, but I want to give you another mm-hmm. line, and you tell me where this would have finished in 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 points per game. This is full PPR. 61 targets, 35 receptions, 523 yards, and seven touchdowns. Where did that receiver finish? Random guess. Man, that's, that's such a weird profile. There's so many touchdowns. That was probably, is that like 42? That's wide receiver 38. That's Jahan Dotson. Yeah. So we're talking about seven touchdowns here, Theo. Uh, if, if, that's the, if that's the way he's going to go about it. If not, then let's call it five or four touchdowns. That means he's going to need to catch upwards of 50 balls. Inside of this offense that runs, some I think of the you most, can do that. My guy's some of the, catch some of the most balls for JSN. Some of that's the most twelve personnel going. in the league, Theo. Well, that's that that's that, that's the interesting. I just re- I just wrote my Seahawks profile yesterday, and I was shocked how many damn targets the tight ends got. Yes, Colby Parkinson was had like forty uh, targets up. So my theory is, guess what? Let's <laughs> stop throwing the ball to Col- Colby Parkinson and Will Disley. Let's get some of these targets to JSN. So hopefully there is a change. Uh, but I do think there's a lot of contingent value with JSN. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's real a quick, line, real though. quick. Twelve. They, so they run some of the most twelve personnel in the league. They run actually right. the most in the league on first down, which is forty percent of their offense is twelve personnel. Now, one may argue that's going to change. They don't want to throw to Coley Parkinson. They don't want to throw to Disley. They don't want to throw to Fant. They're going to throw to their new shiny toy from wide receiver from round one. They also drafted Zach Charbonnet in round two, Theo. So they may keep this 12 personnel grouping continuing as they lean into the run because they also have a very talented running back by the name of Kenneth Walker still on the team. And we know Pete Carroll likes to run the ball. So if they do shift away from 12 personnel, it's not going to go away completely. It's still going to be heavier than the, the, than the mean of the league, but we're still, I'm just saying, I like my chances outside. What is your 36? That line seven touchdown line. Theo is looking pretty good as wide receiver 38. I don't need the touchdowns with JSN. JSN will get it with his receptions. <laughs> That's good because he won't say, get them. And I'll say when you're at when you're at practice and you're watching Will Disley and you're watching JSN, <laughs> Pete, Pete Carroll's lost his fastball years ago, but he'll be able to recognize that maybe that JSN guy is pretty good. Want to keep it going, guys? Wide receiver. Let's let's uh, we can be a little bit of Debbie Downer on some people's uh, picks lately because wide receiver twos have been steamed up. Running back twos. Running back twos have been pushed down. Wide receiver twos have been pushed up. 
Last year, we saw three of the biggest ADP misses in Gabe Davis, Cortland Sutton, and Allen Robinson, high-end wide receiver twos. Which wide receiver twos are, are going to be the biggest problem picks this year, guys, that could really hurt drafters? You could take this as the most overdrafted wide receiver two or wide receiver two you just really don't like right now. Start with Hayden. Zay Flowers, and I hate to be the guy that talks down on the rookies, but oh no, I meant wait. I'm sorry, I meant wide receiver two by by ADP, like the real like wide receiver like top twenty four, top, oh, top twenty four. Okay, yeah, top anybody you're fading the top twenty four. Okay, well, okay, I'll 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 kind of con- combine it. I was looking at just the second round wide receivers right now. It's your T Higgins, it's your Jalen Waddles, Devonta Smith. I love all three of them but they're their own number two wide receivers. And it's not impossible to have two wide receivers be wide receiver ones in fantasy on the same team, but it's certainly less likely. And when I'm getting Ramondre Stevenson and Brees Hall and Tony Pollard and Nick Chubb right next to him, I've just been having a hard time pulling the trigger on them. So to me, the, the big difference with the wide receiver ADP is going up. I don't have a problem that Jamar Chase is now the second pick instead of the fifth pick historically, or that, Tyreek Hill is the the fifth pick instead of the ninth pick anymore. To me, it's this kind of next tier where it's like, is I love Chris Olave. He's going to be very good in fantasy. Is he going to be a top 20 overall player? He was nowhere near top 20 overall player, and he was excellent as a rookie last year. A little bit more target competition there. So I just think I'll take the chances of the running backs going next to these wide receivers. So I think that these, to kind of combine it, this like T Higgins tier sitting right next to Ramondre Stevenson, in Brees Hall, I have to go the running backs at that spot. I think that's a really, really interesting uh, answer because I think it, it's a really sharp one because we the, we like those guys, and you're not saying that they're not going to produce. You're just saying it's an opportunity cost thing for mm-hmm. you because um, a lot of times this answer has been guys a little bit further down. Uh, Billy, want to share? I know that you've you've expressed some concerns about Calvin Ridley where he's going. Yeah, I, I have some concerns with Calvin Ridley. I did a, a write-up for Fantasy that's out today. You can read that, but I'm not going to talk about that one. I want to talk about DJ Moore, um, who I believe is is being overdrafted right now. The move to the Bears was a lateral move, in my opinion. Um, we know that Justin Fields um, is exceptional talent on the ground, has not showed his ability to be accurate in the NFL, was one of the most accurate quarterbacks in college, but comes over to the NFL and is yet to eclipse you know, 61% completion percentage, 58.9 in his rookie season, 60.4 last year. 318 attempts last year, 2,242 passing yards. That is only 149 and a half, and I rounded up, people. 149 and a half passing yards per game. DJ Moore, not a big yak guy, actually really low yak compared to a lot of these receivers going ahead of him. Not a big touchdown guy, consistently saw four, 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 and then saw seven last year. I don't think he's going to quite see seven this year when he's only seeing 149 yards a game. I do think this offense gets him, is going to be improved in the passing game. I don't expect them to see 149 passing yards a game because everything they've signaled tells me they want to throw the ball more by acquiring DJ Moore, by acquiring two big backs, Roshan Johnson, Dante Foreman. But I don't think that they're going to see you know, 240, 250 passing yards a game. If we give them a 33% boost in efficiency inside the passing game, that's still only 200 yards a game, which is really low and and so i have concerns about dj Moore. i have concerns about um how much this offense is going to run and i just don't think that he's going to see the volume to support him going as a top 24 
receiver. I mean, the points per game he's finished as wide receiver in the last three years, 28, 23, 33. I think we're going to see closer to 30 than we are 24. For me, uh, I, I kind of like, I really like Hayden's uh, answer, but I'll say that for me, it's that DK Metcalf, Calvin Ridley, Amari Cooper trio and Debo's in the mix with those guys. But those three kind of stand out to me as guys that are just getting kind of sucked into this wide receiver gravitational pull. Where for me, going from T. Higgins down to Metcalf, I think that's a that's a teardrop for me. And it's they're only five five picks behind. So like DK, I think is getting drafted towards like the max uh, upside of of his output. Like he had a double digit touchdowns two seasons ago. Last year at 140 targets, and we just don't see that next level production. That I think it's like a Mandela effect with uh, with Metcalf, where people actually think he's scoring more than he does because he has these massive playoff games and. You bring up Jackson Smith and Jigba. I love Jackson Smith and Jigba. What if it affects DK uh, and takes him down to like 125 targets? I don't think that's a that's a big jump. Let's stick with the wide receivers bust from last year. Is there a uh, post hype sleeper among Cortland Sutton, Elijah Moore, and Gabe Davis? Is there value to be had here, Hayden? I think with Gabe and Elijah Moore, I would be interested in because I want pieces of those offenses. I'm drafting Deshaun and Josh Allen at a decent clip because I like the upside of these elite quarterbacks for the rushing reasons that both of those guys can provide. Um, Elijah Moore was a really good prospect and he had a really good rookie year last year. Could you blame it on the Jets? I don't think that's at least in out to what was happening there. He, he has to play in two wide receiver sets, which could be a little bit of a problem for him, but I think Elijah Moore can ball, and I think that Gabe Davis, at least in best ball, he does much better in best ball than he does in redraft league when you're trying to pick which week he's going to go off. But when he has a good week, he's like really separating, and best ball scoring, that's really impactful. So for as bad of a season as Gabe Davis had last year, like on average, he actually was a decent best ball receiver because when he was in your lineup, he was like actually providing you a big uh, over-replacement value. So... I'll go back to the Gabe Davis well now that he's like clearly defined as the number two tar- uh, number two receiver in the offense again. I cannot quit Elijah Moore. I'm all about the Elijah Moore bounce back. Billy, that is that is my answer for this one. I'll keep it short and sweet. Uh, you're going to hear a lot about Elijah Moore the next month uh, on First Class Fantasy, everybody. So I'll, I'll keep it short today. Billy, your thoughts on, on this group of wide receivers. You're a little higher on Cortland Sutton than most. Yeah, so real quick, the, the group was Gabe Davis, Elijah Moore, Cortland Sutton, and who was the fourth? Well... Just those three, really, because okay. Allen Robinson's dust. We don't need to go back to, to him. Okay, yeah, yeah. He's he's way out of the equation here. Yeah. Um, I, I, I agree with Hayden on this one. It's probably Gabe Davis because the, the, I want a piece of the offense. But to be contrary and to increase the, the conversation, I'll just lean into Cortland Sutton here. When we look at the new offensive coordinator, Lombardi, here uh, for, for Denver, he has always had career year X receivers. And we've seen that out of Michael Thomas. We saw it out of Mike Williams as of late inside of this Chargers offense. I like the upside that we could potentially have for Cortland Sutton. He's already shown that he's capable of having um, a, a, a decent year as a receiver inside the NFL. I chop up last year to hack it, the new offense, the new, the new system, the new quarterback. There was a lot of dysfunction here happening in Denver. I think there's a bounce back season here, and Cortland Sutton has a chance to rebound. You definitely opened my eyes up a little bit more to him, Billy, because I was kind of off him completely. But I know we had this conversation during during draft kit season, um, and I think you've got some interesting takes there. Want to quickly talk about Patrick Mahomes. It's very interesting. We're seeing Mahomes obviously getting steamed up. Fantastic last year. 
And Travis Kelsey has obviously gotten steamed up off of his fantastic season last year. Last year, especially in FFPC, the Kelsey-Mahomes stacks really hit. A lot of times in high stakes, there's some very, very sharp people, Billy, in high stakes that do not like drafting early quarterback with early tight end. Hayden, do you think you lose some edge with your build by drafting a Kelsey Mahomes start? Basically, you're saying I'm using two one-off positions in the first two rounds. Despite the the potential elite scoring, is there some edge lost? Before you answer, do we know the ownership percentage of this? No. Just an in-general question, but you can make the stack. The stack, I've done it a bunch of times. So it's not it's not something that's impossible. I think it's something that's actually relatively easy yeah. to do in a best ball mania. Yeah, you can definitely do in best ball mania and yeah. weekly winners. It's I don't know. I think it's just what's your projection on Travis Kelsey? I'm not worried about Patrick Mahomes at all. It's just like, are you willing to take a first round pick on a 34 year old tight end? Like last year, it certainly worked. Will it happen again this year? Uh, it kind of goes back to my conversation of like, have you seen a decline in Travis Kelsey? I don't think I have, which is the scary part. Um, so I think that this is fine. Like I, the, the theory would be it's hard to find wide receiver spike weeks and running back spike weeks uh, later on in the draft. Um, so I would really go out of my way to only have two of each position, um, depending on how many rounds your draft is. I think it's, I think it's viable. The correlation is so obvious. And if, if any 34-year-old tight end is going to continue doing this, I think it's going to be the one attached to Mahomes. Billy, for you, let's take this to FFPC for our FFPC listeners, and let's take it to redraft. Yeah, I I don't like this stack because I know the ownerships at FFPC, and this is like a 60% owned stack. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be on 60% of the field. We talked about uniqueness. I'm going to take, if I take Kelsey, which I don't really like to take Kelsey because, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to like him in FFPC, but there's also a lot of reasons to be kind of caution on him. But I don't like to stack it because it's so owned. Like it's 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 like you're you're playing with the field at this point. And so if I'm taking Kelsey, I would rather we're looking at correlation. I'd rather take Joe Burrow and shoot for Week 17 stack, right? And I'm going to take other pieces of the offense for uh, for Kansas City. Or if I have Mahomes, I'm going to stack it with Tony, and I'm going to go for for uh, you know Rice, and I'm going to stack it with you know other pieces inside this offense. So. I think there's other ways to go about it if you want Mahomes, especially the discount. We know that there's somebody is going to emerge in this wide receiver core. And if we have the ability to at least possibly land that wide receiver one inside of Kansas City, whether it's Tony, whether it's Sky Moore, whether it's Rasheed Rice, you can literally acquire all three of these guys for really cheap in drafts. And you can, if it's not best ball, we're talking redraft, you can disregard the other two pieces once you have the number one, if they are not performing, then you you set yourself up for a large success or a big success because you're not going against or you're not going with 60% of the field. Hayden, stick with Mahomes here. The wide receivers are all affordable. Do you are you trying to when you draft Mahomes, are you trying to draft multiple Kansas City wide receivers to go with him? Or are you trying to plant your flag on maybe just one or two of them? I think either way would be fine. Uh I would try to find the one that you think is going to be the number one. But last year there just like really wasn't like Juju had some decent weeks, but I think that Juju probably had a better chance of being a consistent producer than any of these guys. The Kadarius Tony price tag on underdog has gone pretty out of control in a perfect world. I would go that route, but like to me, this would be like, all right, I'm going to take my bullet on Clyde over to layer. I'm going to take a weird bullet on Noah Gray for to really leverage off of the Travis Kelsey. What if Kelsey misses some time and Noah Gray's the guy? 
Uh, is it DeAndre Hopkins? You draft a, somebody like a free agent like DeAndre Hopkins and hope that he signs with the Chiefs. But I do think that Patrick Mahomes is his own unique beast that if you did happen to leave him uncorrelated or just with CH or just with Jarek McKinnon or just with MVS, who would probably be my favorite option right now, I think it's fine. Mahomes, MVS, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Noah Gray, the cheapest you can possibly make that stack and really just like, all right, if Kelsey misses a little bit of time here, how am I really going to soak this thing up to play leverage off of the high uh, ownership overlaps between the two? I love the Noah Gray call, and I think that if you looked at how much, I mean, I'm not you, not Billy, you guys are you guys memorize this stuff, you know, for breakfast. Uh, but the average listener, if you look at how how often Kansas City was in multiple tight end sets, it's actually pretty shocking. They're 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 way way up there. It's a it's a great way for them to get advantageous matchups for Kelsey. So Noah Gray is going to be on the field a ton. Want to quickly pick your brain on the Pomeranian? We have a lot of high stakes uh, listeners here. I'm thinking about throwing in an entry in the Pomeranian, Billy. I know you are as well. For a low entry, thousand dollar entry contest, Hayden, how does your strategy change? So with best ball, you're always playing for upside. That's both season long and weekly. Obviously, the higher entries, the better your team has to be. I do think at the same time we're probably overestimating like how you're how much different of a team you're drafting to come in the top one percentile versus top fifth percentile of a team. Like what's truly the difference with all that? But I think making sure you have your correlations, keeping your roster construction in place. But between like uh, the Mastiff and Mastiff, the Pomeranian, Mastiff. it's more or less I'm not changing things too much. The advancement certainly different but i'm certainly just playing for upside and getting a little teammate correlations the easiest path to do that and it insult it insulted all all mastiffs there by confusing them with pomeranians the mastiff is so the confused that was like the, I thought the, the pomeranians dollars pomeranians three dollars and the mastiff is the thousand dollar little little so, difference of buy-in yeah answer. little different guys little <laughs> well different just guys. just to real quick go into the mastiff it's the advancement structure literally could basically cannot be flatter. It's like almost a yeah. cash game on how it works out. So that's like the most unique example, like our Dalmatian, which is $101. Uh, that's like a normal kind of advancement. The Mastiff is, was like super uh, conservative and maybe the, the next high stakes uh, contest we run won't be that weird with the advancements. Uh, but always before you enter, go look at the, the advancements just to make sure you're, you know what you're competing against. I think the, the size of the finals, like what the real difference is. If there's only eight people in your final, the week 17 matchups don't matter maybe as much as if, if there's 40 people in the final, like with the Mastiff, um, then you've got to at least game plan a little bit more to like get that finish all the way up. Now, Hayden, if I recall right, I think the Mastiff is the top six from round from the first group progressed yeah, me- to round two. And then it's, and then it's top three. Is that right? Yeah, I'd have to I'd have to pull it up. I, I think the final is hold up. I just found it at the end of round one. The top six performing entries in each group will advance to round two. So you only have to beat half your league. Mm-hmm. Then from there, the round two will consist of 120 entries, uh, which is uh, you get your money back. So if you're top six, you get your money back inside of this tournament inside your league. And then from there, if you are at the end of round two, the top three performing entries in each group will advance to round three. So now you now it's 33% pass-through, which at the end of that round three will have 60 entries. So now you're at 1,500. So now, you have a, now you've just made 50% on your entry. I play these like cash games. I play them like, 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 mm-hmm. like, or like confined leagues, honestly, because if you can just finish inside the top half of your league, 
you're immediately even. And then if you can pass through a couple of them, you're positive. So I, yeah, play them like a home game. Play them like really? a home game, honestly. What do you think the high stakes community likes best? Higher payouts, top heavy payouts or flatter payouts? Just in general. Like if, if you guys were going to say for the next 10 high stakes underdog drafts, what, what would the price point be to get more people on there? What do you think the overall payout structure should be? Just since you guys are, I think the 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 five hundred and one thousand dollar entry point ones are very appealing, um, because you're competing with less people, and it's uh, it's you know it's going to attract. I, I also think that there's there's just something about a a four hundred person contest which it feels a lot more winnable than something like with with best ball mania. That's just right. my, my own personal take. Yep. For me, as a high stakes player, I'd like to see total points rather than pass through. And so you get people in, you get a five hundred thousand dollar tournament. You throw everybody in; it's total points through the end of the tournament, and you pay out top teams because then it's a true uh, testament of who had the best team. You're not getting lucky with a spike week in week fifteen. You're not getting lucky with the spike week in week sixteen. It truly will benefit the top built teams in the tournament, and you're going to have a payout structure similar to poker on the way down. That's the ideal for me. If we're going to stick to pass through and we're going to stick to this concept, I think half the league passing through in the round one is a little bit of an overkill. I think you could go top third, top third, and, and then increase the overall, and you're still going to have the high stakes people who are going to come play because now you're going to get the best of both worlds. You're going to have one of the higher pass through rates inside of the industry, but you're also going to have one of the bigger up top prizes with the smallest amount of entries as well. So that's, I think, the overall win. I like I like top four, uh, uh, Billy. I think the the first third is is a is a good way for if you're doing pass through. And Billy, if we had your structure, we couldn't we couldn't freak out about week seventeen. So <laughs> let's talk week seventeen, guys, real quick. Uh, we're always looking for edges in week seventeen with correlation. This is another underdog effect. This is affecting uh, FFPC as well. We're trying to look at these a- advantageous week seventeen matchups. Hayden, you had some interesting takes, and it's it's simplistic, but it makes a ton of sense on trying to embrace the indoor games and embrace the better weather environments. Maybe talk about that a little bit because it's so simple, but it kind of is like, this is something we should absolutely be doing. Yeah, it was kind of a throwaway comment, but there is some truth to it. If you are just going to pick a side of the country or just pick the home games, what if there's a blizzard on the East Coast? We've seen this before, like week 16 happens and the Browns can't complete a pass and then the Bears can't complete a pass and it's not because they have Justin Fields and Baker Mayfields because some something's ripping through one side of the country. So I think it's something kind of fun to keep track of. Like maybe I'm just building a team for AFC and then the NFC West teams. Um, but really for the week 17 correlation, like my big thing is like I'm I'm more prioritizing the team stacks, not necessarily the game stacks. Like the bring back correlation exists. Like there's a reason why it's popular in DFS, but like the bring back correlation is like 5%, 10%. The teammate correlation is like 30%. So I would rather just like stick to the teammate correlation over and over again and less of the game stack correlation, especially at least on underdog. You're seeing this effect where the the bring back options on the elite offenses are getting steamed up too much. Like the Broncos last year, they were playing. I forget if it was the Bengals or the, the I think it was the Chiefs. Yes. And I'm all of a sudden Cortland Sutton was like a fourth round pick. And it's not because we thought Cortland Sutton was going to be some baller. We thought it because we knew we had Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and we wanted to get away to get a bring back correlation. So just make sure the projection and the ADP makes sense first before you worry about the bring back correlation. 
uh, because I think we're overestimating just how much bring back correlation there is. Love that. I think last year we'll, we'll have to pour one out for also the LA LA game. People were getting really, really hyped for that one, but you got, got me a little nervous for, for Cleveland, New York jets, uh, game stacks <laughs> with the, with the, with the weather comment. Um, and want to just quickly pick your brain on weekly winners. This is oh, cool. Yeah. And, and this, you've actually, you've written a ton about this. So I, I encourage everybody to read Hayden's written work, which is really pretty interesting. You're, you're doing a lot with uh, weekly winners. Talk about this and, and also maybe talk about a little bit of the strategy, because I think this really supercharges your team stacks. So I think this is like one of the biggest innovations in fantasy football since like kind of best ball got really popular. And it's basically a best ball concept where you're just drafting your team 18 rounds on the drug fantasy. But instead of playing for the entire course of the season, it's 17 own tournaments based off of each week where your previous score doesn't matter. So if you have a player that gets injured halfway through the season. Well, at least you might have won some bucks early on. You can just pick by weeks teams that are playing each other. You can just whip up the, the week 10 schedule and stack teams that are playing each other in week 10 and like high scoring dome environments. And there's a lot of wrinkles to this. You can like line up player archetypes. Like, for example, the rookies do better later on the season. So do some of the zero RB candidates. You draft a bunch of rookies, draft a bunch of zero RB candidates. You draft Jameson Williams, who's suspended. You draft Brees Hall, who's going to be missing some time, possibly in September. And all of a sudden, that team that you just drafted would be terrible in regular fantasy football. But when week nine comes around and your weekly winners, all of a sudden your team has an edge on the team that I'm drafting, Adam Thielen and other players like Javante or uh, uh, Samaj P. Ryan, who probably projected better early on, but worse now. So it's just this theory of like best ball meets DFS and you're still trying to compete for the very top of the prizes. Um, but it's very fun for us to sweat through it. Unlike in like best ball mania four, where most of the sweat comes out later on the season when Monday night football and week three rolls around, you have the potential to be sweating just like a DFS tournament and you can draft this one team and all of a sudden you have 17 weeks of sweat. And then the way that you basically, is there a simple answer for this is how, how big is too big of a game stack or a teammate uh, correlation slash stack? Yeah, so what the interesting part is like there's like 260,000 people that are in this. So that's a lot of teams. And unlike in DFS, where Patrick Mahomes is going to be 20% drafted, he's 100% drafted in this one. So let's say there, there's the 7,000 people that get paid out. There's going to be more Patrick Mahomes teams than teams that make money. So when Patrick Mahomes finishes the quarterback one, not every single team is going to be cashing. So which means you have to really get a bunch of things right which makes the difference between best ball and weekly winners pretty substantial on how you're building your teams. I see a lot of teams out there that are only drafting one quarterback and one tight end and not drafting any of their backups because they just need those two guys to go off in that same week. So there's the, there's a, some wrinkles to how you're drafting these teams versus in traditional best ball or traditional redraft. But the fun part is, is I'm trying to do as much research and game theory as I can. So are a lot of people. But the fact is, we don't have any data for this. So this is a fun tournament for people that are really listening to Fantasy Football Podcast on July 7th to dip their toes and really think about all of the strategy components because there's lots of edge out there if you can figure out how to do the roster construction and the team stacking. So my general take, take is, I think that single stacks and maybe a couple double stacks on the elite teams is fine. But I think if you get too many players on one team, it's going to be hard for them to fit in your lineup because I think that that week where Mahomes is the quarterback one, 
Well, if Kadarius Tony has some positive correlation, but the positive correlation makes Kadarius Tony the wide receiver 20 on the week, the wide receiver 20 on the week is not going to be enough to win. I would rather just take someone like Jordan Addison, who I just think has a better chance of being the wide receiver four on the week than Kadarius Tony. So I'm trying to keep my stacks tight and just give me like the quarterback that's thrown to that wide receiver tight end. And hopefully that wide receiver tight end scores the three touchdowns that week. Love it. And I really look forward to uh, entering some of these. Billy, we'll start with you on this one. We got to just get to it. Uh, we're at an hour 10. Give us a few quarterback receiver correlation plays that you really, really like right now that might be under the radar. You can keep it at one or two. Uh, and you could also go with an elite quarterback with maybe a secondary option that people are not correlating enough. Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily under the radar, but I think it's still being underdrafted and it's just going to be the Chargers stacks. Uh, you, it's uh, This is the number one pass heaviest offense. I mean, they they had more attempts last year than Kansas City. Justin Herbert had a broken rib and a bum shoulder and still threw the ball 699 times last year. We finally have Keenan Allen healthy, Mike Williams healthy. They added um, you know, Quentin Johnson. They sell Palmer on the team. There's Eckler. There's a lot of pieces that you can stack here. I'm going this direction. Um, I also think Denver is going to be better than what people are expecting to be. So they have this the, as a potential shootout as well in week 17. Um, and then I look at when I look at correlation, I don't try to just look at week 17 because pass through is so heavy. I try to build teams where I have a pass or a correlation in as many weeks as I possibly can. Like if I'm looking at like, for instance, Buffalo, right? Buffalo plays Dallas, then Chargers, New England, where I like to see, hey, can I get pieces of Buffalo with the Chargers and then stack with Denver? So I have a week 16 correlation and a week 17 correlation. And I tried to find two or three teams on any given draft that I can do this with so I can hit week 15, I can hit week 16, and I can hit week 17. So I give myself the best chances of getting at least hitting one of them in that given week to get me through to the next week. Hayden, how about you? Yeah, I think all what he just said really applies to the weekly winners format in particular. Like one of like the main strategy things is to uh, stack divisions because they're going to be playing each other multiple times. So I see a lot of people doing that. You can stack the bye weeks together as well. I think the Chargers call is amazing. I think that Mike Williams has a chance to bounce back, especially in like these best ball type of contests, like his profile deep downfield, just play the touchdown variance game. Like to me, who has a better chance of finishing with 12 touchdowns this year on that offense. It would to me, aside from Eckler would be Mike Williams, the way that he's used. So I, I do like that call. Uh, I, I think I, I like Calvin Shit, were Ridley. we talking about the weekly winners? I, did I miss no, that? No, I think okay. I did all of it. No, it's, all it, all, it's, it, all, it, all, it all ties together, Billy. It's, <laughs> no, it was just, it's, it's, it's you a basically just made circle. the weekly winners strategy <laughs> column, just like you nailed it perfectly. Uh, I guess one of my answers would be, I think Trevor Lawrence and Calvin Ridley have a chance to do some special things, and it's not just because they're both really talented. Doug Peterson, just the way that their offense is constructed, they're very aggressive quietly, and... Uh, Calvin really just went wins downfield. And like, there's a chance that Calvin really is just done. And like, that's the risk that you're taking on. I understand people that want to fade him certainly, but I also think there's a chance that Trevor Lawrence, when I watch him, his eyes are always downfield and he hasn't had that vertical player in the NFL yet. That's consistent winning downfield. And Trevor Lawrence has still been pretty efficient because he doesn't take sacks and all that. If he can unload the ball downfield and he has plenty enough arm, I think there's a chance that there could be magic there. Now, is the odds probably lower than some of the other players going in that range? Possibly so. But I just think that stylistically, Calvin Ridley and Trevor Lawrence could make some magic. And at least I have the confidence where they're going to be throwing the ball a lot because Doug Peterson is such an aggressive coach. 
real quick because I'm not a, this is though I Hayden has said a lot I agree with like 95 99% of everything he said today except for this one without looking how many 1000 yard seasons has Calvin Ridley had he's had I think he's had one how many he said mm-hmm. one how many how many 100 target seasons has Calvin Ridley had was it probably one it was one yeah. Um, you know, I, I have concerns with him coming into a new offense, new coach, new system, you know, learning, learning a new playbook. Um, people forget. I mean, so everyone remembers he was suspended last year, but people forget that he actually stepped away from football for, you know, mental health and personal reasons the year before for a majority of the season. Uh, I, I know that he's back, quote unquote, right? There's a lot of a lot of variables going against him. In my opinion, this offense has a lot of mouths to feed as cliche as that is. Um, there is a lot of mouths to feed. Although I do think Trevor Lawrence takes another step forward. This offense is going to be, you know, pretty pass heavy. I do think that helps him, but I do think where his ADP is going right now, I'm out at cost. If he was going later in drafts, by all means, I take, I take the shot, but we've only seen him in an Atlanta offense where he is one, either been opposite of Julio where the number one DB was attached to Julio or double coverage was attached to Julio or option two, when he was the only option on the field and everything was being funneled through him, you know, hence the, the year where Julio got injured after eight games. And then, then he saw his 1000 yard season. And so Mm -hmm. I have concerns with, with Ridley. I think he has the talent to succeed. I just don't know if we're going to see him kind of regain form. And D I'll let you decide this just real quick. I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing for Calvin Ridley. He is in a contract year off of his rookie contract season this year. <laughs> that is absurd. Is that a bad thing that he's no, still I in his that, rookie contract? Or is it a good thing that he's actually played for a Super Bowl contender, not like the Falcons? And it is a contract year where he has everything to prove. I don't know which way to take on this. It's a good thing. Guys Guys who want to get the big contract, it's it's absolutely a, a good thing. I'll there's, there's two sides of that coin. It's he's a good yeah, thing. Almost 30. That he's it's a good thing he's going for the contract. The bad thing is going to be 29. <laughs> right. Yes, right. absolutely. And 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 shout out to Calvin Ridley's agent for uh for for the, not, not getting a little bit more, more money in Atlanta. Um, I want to say I like drafting the Brock Purdy Brandon Ayuk stack. I think that that's super interesting right now. I think Ayuk could have double digit touchdowns this year. I think he's at a great level. Um you know, obviously, I've mentioned I like the Deshaun Watson, Elijah Moore. How about a double bounce back, guys? Deshaun Watson bounces back big and brings Elijah Moore back to the season we thought he could have last year. Um, but this is awesome. We could li- we could legitimately talk for three hours, but we want Hayden Winks to come back on a player profiler podcast. So we, we thank you for being so generous with your time. Let everybody know where they can find you and the work you have coming out, Hayden. Yeah, this is a ton of fun. I always love talking best ball. You can find me on Twitter if it exists at Hayden Winks. And then more importantly, on YouTube, the underdog football show with Josh Norris. We'll be talking some strategy components about the niche games that underdog provides, but also player takes, film breakdowns. We'll have shows with former quarterbacks, former NFL wide receivers on our channel. It'll be a lot of fun. Some niche stuff, but also some big pictures of the stuff. A little bit, of, a little bit for everything. And Billy, do you have a dominator coming up this weekend? I do. Uh, Jody Smith is going to join me. We're going to talk through some projections, and we're going to we're going to just have a a ranking summit call. We're going to walk through some of our biggest differences, kind of run our way down through the top ten, top twenty at each position, and uh, and just kind of hash things out. Iron sharpens iron. It's always great to get another ranker and projection um, experts' opinion on on things to see if they're looking at things through a different lens than you are. Hayden, really liked having you on the show. Appreciate all your insight. 
Um, love having sharp minds on, be able to pick your brain and 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 see what you're thinking. So thanks for joining us. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I echo that. And then I'll be back with another press coverage on Monday. Josh Larkey is coming on press coverage. It'll be episode three for press coverage. And then next week, Billy's going to be playing golf. But first class fantasy will be back. So I'm I'm bringing in two guests. I'm bringing in Nando Defino and Chris Vaccaro, uh, both from the Athletic. Chris Vaccaro is an NFFC Hall of Famer, one of the best high stakes players in the country. We're gonna we're gonna get after it next week on on first class fantasy. Uh, everyone have a wonderful weekend and uh, thanks for joining us. I gotta hit the button, don't I? Yes. <laughs> hey, you like that video? Be sure to subscribe and activate those alerts so you get notified as soon as new videos drop. And be sure to check out playerprofiler.com. We have all the tools for you to dominate every type of fantasy league. We have a draft kit. Dynasty Deluxe, Data Analysis, DFS Dominator, and don't forget the player rankings to rule them all.